Now, take your Bible and turn to John 18 and 1 Peter 2, okay? We're gonna be in both places. So uh, bookmark your Bible, uh, put something in the the places in your Bible or bookmark your app or something. Uh, John 18 and 1 Peter 2. Uh, Now, today we're looking at Jesus suffering betrayal, injustice, and being denied by one of his closest disciples. So if you've been in church a while, you've probably heard a pastor talk about how the Lord just kind of lined up a passage on the perfect day. That's not this day, okay? Uh, This is not a passage I would have chosen for Celebration Sunday, but this is the passage God has us in, and I think he has good things for us. Jesus is going to experience the sec, perhaps the second worst day of his life here as a demonstration and declaration of his love for us. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be treated unjustly. He's going to be denied by one of his closest friends. All so that we would know that we are loved by him. Now, when we talk about the subject of betrayal, for most of us, this is not a foreign idea. Most of us have been betrayed before. We've been hurt. We've been wounded. Whether that was by family, a coworker, a friend, perhaps even someone who made forever promises to you. They knew the soft spot of your heart. They knew that place in you that if you touch it, you hurt and they used it against you. And very often, those experiences shape us in dramatic ways. If we've been betrayed, if we've been wounded, if we've been hurt, it can make us afraid, and so we never really feel safe again. And so we try to control our environment so that we'll feel safe or We try to consume enough that we never really feel again at all because we're afraid. For some of us, we don't get afraid. For some of us, we get angry. And we feel guilty that we would let somebody betray us like that. How could I let somebody get close enough like that to me that they would hurt me? And so we get strong and powerful. And our answer is, I'm going to be so strong that no one's ever going to get close to me again. Or... We try to get, keep the peace so that we never, so that nothing ever gets bad. We just kind of try to keep the peace with everybody or we set out to change the world so that no one gets hurt like we did. And then some of us, we don't deal with being afraid. We don't deal with being angry. For some of us, we just feel defective. We feel like, man, somebody betrayed me. And that's about me. Like, how how could I be so defective that they would do that to me? And so we live with a sense of being worthless. We've got this big D on our chest for defective. And so we live our lives thinking, if I can just get this D off my chest, if I can just be special enough or succeed enough or or be so necessary that no one would ever betray me again, then I'll be okay. But none of these realities deal with the hurt and pain that betrayal causes. At best, it numbs the pain. 
At worst, it shields us from ever feeling toward anyone again. But for many of us, that's how we've chosen to deal with hurt and betrayal. In John 18, Jesus shows us another way. In John 18, Jesus shows us a path, and he's showing it as a demonstration of his love for us, but it's also a path for us to deal with the very real realities of hurt and pain. He endures these moments pointing to the reality of the cross that's coming in just a couple of pages. And he endures it so that when we pray, he knows. And he endures it so that when we hurt, he understands. And maybe, maybe you've experienced this kind of hurt before. Not the exact same kind, but similar to where you've been wounded deeply. My hope today is that you would leave here knowing that Jesus cares for you. That you would leave here knowing the comfort Jesus offers even more important than that, and I know if you've been hurt, like it's hard to feel, it's hard to see something more important than feeling comforted. But even, even more important than it's experiencing Jesus's comfort, we need his grace. And so my hope today is that we would leave here having experienced both, both the comfort from Jesus and the grace of Jesus, because we need both today. So we're gonna deal with John 18, one through 27, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 and then pray and we'll jump into God's word. Verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. So Jesus answered, I told you, I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I've lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? Let's pray together. Father, uh, we ask that you would speak to us through your word. Uh, Jesus, thank you that you know uh, life here, that you know what it's like to be human, that you know what it's like to experience life in a fallen world. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are the comforter, that you are the paraclete who comforts us today. You're also the spirit of truth who shines a light in places we don't often like to see. So would you comfort us and shine light into our lives so that we might see and savor the grace of Jesus today? Uh, Would you show us wonderful things in your word? Open our hearts to you, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Now, we're gonna see uh, three things today. We're gonna see betrayal, we're gonna see injustice, and we're gonna see Peter's denial. So let's start with betrayal. Now, the betrayal of Jesus is perhaps one of the most famous parts of the last few days of Jesus' life. Um, Many of us have heard about Judas and his betrayal of Jesus, even if we don't have a long history in the church. We've heard that 
concept or that name before. Judas is a disciple who's been with Jesus since the beginning. We learn in the Gospels, he was the guy who handled the money for them as they traveled around. He had been with the disciples on the night when Jesus washed their feet. And Jesus tells the group, someone's gonna betray me. And then he looks at Judas and says, what you're gonna do, go and do quickly. And he does. With freshly cleaned feet, he walks to the religious leaders and he betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And John speaks of that in verse two. He says, now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So we see here that Judas's betrayal of Jesus involved private knowledge. Judas knew this place because he had spent private time with Jesus in this place. I mean, who knows the treasures that Jesus shared with his disciples in this, in this environment? Who knows the time of joy and laughter and fun and faith that these men shared together in this garden. And Judas knows this place, and he betrays him there. Betrayal requires private knowledge. That's one of the reasons marriage is so hard. It's one of the reasons that when a spouse wounds another, it's so hurtful, because when we're wounded by somebody, we know the place. We know the nuclear button we can push. And so often when we're wounded, we want to go right there with them. Betrayal requires private knowledge. Judas has private knowledge of Jesus and the disciples, and he goes after them in a private place where they've spent time together. Second, Jesus' betrayal was public. Look at verse three. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Judas went and got soldiers and the powerful to come and betray Jesus. And when he arrives, the other gospels tell us that he betrays Jesus with a kiss. Now, today, if I walked up and kissed some men on the cheek here, you would not be blessed, right? Right? <laughs> In this day, this was, a, this was a, a, a means of endearment. It was like a fist bump or a handshake or a bro hug or whatever. Like that, that's what this was. And Judas betrayed Jesus with a sign of affection. <laughs> Betrayal hurts because it involves private knowledge. It often involves something that at one point has been used as a means of affection. And Jesus experienced this. He experienced betrayal of friendship, betrayal of trust. And some of you know what it's like to be treated in this manner. People who have private knowledge of you shared it in a hurtful way. People who you've entrusted your heart with publicly share that with others and bring others into it and it's wounded you. And many times it's with this feigned affection, well, I did it for you. Or I just thought this was right. And they've placed that knife right in the most hurtful part of you and twisted it. And you felt wounded and betrayed. Now, my hope for you, if you've been been wounded and betrayed in this way, is that you would do probably one of the most difficult things I could ask you to do, and that's to to speak with someone you trust about it. And why would that be difficult? Well, because you trusted once and it hurt. 
but do not believe the lie that you can just cover up all that hurt and pain and it's never going to come out. It's going to come out. It might not come out in the place you've covered, but it'll come over here and it'll blow up like a volcano. Or it'll just seep like a cesspool and, and damage and wound every relationship you have. So if you've been hurt and wounded, I want to beg you to find someone you can trust that you can open up with. There are people here who love you and care about you that can be trusted with this kind of pain. My hope is that you'll bring that into the light. John reminds us here that Jesus knows our pain. He knows the pain of being betrayed. He knows the pain of being hurt. He also experienced injustice. After Jesus was betrayed by Judas, he was led away into the, to a farce of a trial to be questioned, mocked, and tortured. And in verses 19 through 24, we see a little bit of what that looked like. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? And Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So Jesus is questioned. When he speaks, he's beaten unjustly. And the other gospels give us more data. Luke tells us that the beating started early. In Luke 22, we read, now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. And then Matthew and Mark tell us this, for many bore false witness against him, but their Testimony did not agree, and some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yes, yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. So Jesus is beaten without cause. There are false allegations levied at him at this farce of a trial. And then finally, they trap him in what they wanted him to say anyway. They look at him and say, are you the son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. Then they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. So Jesus experiences injustice, systemic injustice Jesus experiences here. The powerful prey on those who are less powerful. Now, Jesus, we know, could have just spoken a word and they would have been done. But in this moment, he humbles himself and submits himself to this atrocity of injustice here. So Jesus has been betrayed. He's been treated unjustly all on the way to the cross. And then there's one last painful moment on this Thursday of Jesus' life. He suffers denial. Now, as painful as the betrayal was, Peter was one of his closest friends. Peter, Peter was one of his closest disciples. And the rock, the one who had promised in John 13, I'll never, I'll never betray you. I'll lay down my life for you, denies him three times. And we see that in verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Now, scholars suggest that that other disciple is John, the writer of this 
gospel. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest, but Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. And the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of the man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. So apparently she had asked John the same question. And then when she asks Peter, he says, I am not. So strike one for Peter. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire, which scholars point out that if the fire was there, it was at nighttime. This is further evidence that it was a nighttime trial, which were actually illegal according to Jewish custom and law. It was a fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. Verse 25, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I'm not, strike two. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it, strike three. Now, Matthew and Luke give us even more information on this. Matthew writes, after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them for your accent betrays you. And it says, then he began to evoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. So Peter just loses it and starts cussing and all kind of swearing and profanity. I don't know him. And then Luke tells us even more. After an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still, sorry. I've just lost my place. Okay, there we go. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Now, can you imagine that moment for Peter? Can you imagine Peter locking eyes with the eyes he had seen so often for the last three years? The eyes he had seen when he was called the rock. The eyes he had seen when he was walking on water. The eyes he had seen every day. Those eyes are now looking at him after he's denied him three times. And those eyes are staring into his soul. And Peter remembered, Luke continues, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. So Peter is confronted with his guilt and shame in this moment. He's confronted with the weight of, I promised I would never do it, and I did it. Some of us know what that feels like. We've made promises and promises and promises. I won't click on that link. I won't hide those numbers. I won't say that again. I'll never do this again. And then we've done what we promised we wouldn't do. And we know what that guilt and shame feels like. That's what Peter's carrying right now. And thankfully, this is not the last of Peter's story. Because after Jesus is raised from the dead, he's going to say to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter's going to say, Lord, you know I do. And Jesus is going to say, then feed my sheep. And on the first day of Pentecost, Peter's going to stand up and proclaim the gospel to thousands of people. And he's going to end up planting churches all over this part of the world and even writing two books that we know as First and Second Peter. This isn't the last of his story. And what you're feeling is not the end of yours if you'll bring it to Jesus. 
So, so Jesus has experienced betrayal, injustice, and denial, all as a demonstration and declaration of his love for us. Now, how do we, how do we apply this? Two things. First, how do you handle hurt and pain? How do you handle hurt and pain? We're going to experience it. <laughs> We're going to be hurt. We're going to experience pain. You can't hide. You can't, um, you can't protect yourself. You can't get in the right vocation, the right place, the right whatever. You can't do enough to escape hurt and pain. That's part of what it means to live in a fallen world. We're going to experience that. And there's two ways to handle it that we see in this passage. First way is we can handle it on our own. That's what Peter does. In verses 10 and 11, it says, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. One way we can handle hurt and pain is this. We can try to hurt others. We can fight. And for some of us, that's our go-to. That's our first card. Somebody hurts me, I'm lopping off ears. I don't care whose they are. I'm just, I'm hurting somebody. Another way we can try to handle it is we can run away like Peter does at the end. We can live in denial and just try to run away. Neither of those really deal with the hurt and pain in your soul. They don't. It might feel like they do. It might feel like that's kind of, you know, just, just kind of this veneer that's covering it, but it's going to come out somewhere. Dealing with pain and on our own is not going to give our souls, what they need. The only way to deal with hurt and pain is to entrust ourselves to God. That's the only way to deal with hurt and pain. Look at verse four. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? Don't miss that. He knew everything that was coming. And he could have shut it down. I mean, we see that even when he says his name there, it says, whom do you seek? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he could have just wiped them out in a moment. But he didn't. He entrusted himself to God. And we see that in verse 11. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So you can try to handle hurt and pain on your own or you can trust yourself to the Lord. Even in the midst of your deepest, darkest hurt. Now maybe you're reading this and you're wondering, whoa, whoa, whoa. I see no command that I have to do this. Are you kidding me? I don't see, there's not even a footnote in my Bible that says I have to do this. Are you sure that the way I handle hurt and pain is to trust the the Lord with it? Well, uh, one of the disciples who had a front row seat to this event seems to think so. 1 Peter chapter 2. Turn there with me. In 1 Peter 2, and I can't help but think that Peter is thinking about this moment when he writes 1 Peter 2. He says, for this is a gracious thing, When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So he sets up two ways we can suffer. One is a normal consequence for doing something wrong or stupid. 
okay? You can suffer that way, and Peter's like, ah, it's no big deal, all of us do that. The other is if we suffer unjustly for doing good. That's what Jesus is experiencing here. And sometimes that's what we experience as well. And then Peter says this, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So Peter, who watched all this go down, says Christ gave us an example. What was his example? Continue. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So how are we to handle when we're hurt and betrayed? We don't, we don't sin in return. We don't lie. We don't revile. We don't threaten. We just entrust ourselves to the Father. We don't return evil for evil, even though we want to. We don't lie. We don't try to beat that other person down in other person's minds. We just entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly. And that is so hard. So many times when I'm wounded by somebody, I want to pull out a sword and start lopping off ears. I want to go, particularly if I know them well, I want to go right after that point where I know it's going to hurt and twist. Jesus says, that is not the way. Peter says, that's not the example Jesus gave. And then what's interesting is that that little nugget, that, that core right there, provides the foundation for our most important relationships. How we respond to government leaders, how we respond to our employer, and what follows it is our marriage. So in our marriages, when someone hurts us, we don't bring gasoline to their match. We entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly. So maybe, maybe this is speaking into your heart today. Maybe you're in a moment. Maybe you're in a moment of feeling deep hurt and pain. Maybe your employer just handed it to you on Friday and you have a scathing word for him when you get there on Monday morning. Maybe your spouse is making life utterly miserable and you're tempted to press the nuclear button or start chopping ears. You have a choice today. You can handle that on your own and that gets you where you are right now or you can entrust yourself to the one who judges justly. And when you're wounded, when you're hurt, you can return kindness and grace. Jesus knows what it's like to live with hurt and pain. He knows what that's like. Second thing is, is a statement, not a question, is this, that Jesus deals with our greatest need. Jesus deals with our greatest Need. Now, during sermons like this, it's really easy for us to hear, yep, all those people who have hurt me. All those people have done really bad things to me. And when we hear, when we read passages like this and we hear sermons like this, 
That's what we think. We almost never think about the ways we've hurt others. When we read verses like, forgive others as God in Christ also forgave you, we've got a long list of all the people we've got to do that for. We never think about the the volumes of people who are forgiving us. When we read, bear with one another, we forget that includes people bearing with us. Said another way, we like talking about sin done to us. We don't like talking about sin done by us. And because we think our greatest problem is pain caused by others, we think our greatest need is to be understood or comforted. But that's not our greatest need today because this is not our greatest problem. Our greatest problem is not that we've been offended. The greatest problem is that we have committed an offense. The greatest problem is not that we've been offended. It's not that we've been betrayed and we've suffered injustice and we've been suffered the denial of a close friend. The greatest problem is we've looked at the God who loved us and said, you're not enough. Our greatest problem is that we've betrayed him and we've brought all our injustice and laid it on the just one. Our greatest problem is not that we've been offended, but we've committed an offense. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to deal with all that. And 1 Peter 2 continues, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And so maybe today you brought a lot of hurt and pain in this room and you need to know that Jesus understands and that Jesus comforts you and all that's true. But the greatest need we bring in a room like this is not that we've been hurt, not that we've been offended, but that we've committed an offense. And the good news of the gospel is not simply that Jesus understands. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus was placed under the wrath of God for us so that all the times we've been betrayed and have betrayed, all the times we've committed unjust things, all of those are laid on him so that we can be forgiven and free. Jesus handles our greatest problem by dying on a cross and rising three days later. And so just like my hope is that we'll bring our hurt to him, my greater hope is that we'll bring our sin to him and believe that he's covered it that he's taken it away, and that our sin is not the end of our story, but that God has this amazing story for us. If we'll simply bring our sin to Jesus, he gives us life and hope and peace and joy and purpose in his mission in the world. Our greatest problem, our greatest problem is not that we've been offended, but that we've committed an offense. And Jesus came to solve our greatest problem with his greater grace 